This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, November 2nd, 2007. I'm Caleb Brown. How does one argue against the welfare state using the values of those most inclined to defend the welfare state? Philosopher Daniel Shapiro believes he has done so in his book, Is the Welfare State Justified? We spoke following a Cato book forum on his book this week. My purpose in writing this book was to show that people who defend the welfare state using values such as fairness, uh, sustaining a sense of community, uh, open and transparent institutions, providing people with access to basic goods that are used by defenders of the welfare state actually does not provide a defense of the welfare state. It actually provides a way of defending more market-based alternatives to the welfare state. So what I'm trying to do is show that people from different viewpoints, um, from the dominant viewpoints among those who defend the welfare state, actually um, should converge on opposing it, even though they believe they should support it. So their principles um, lead to different conclusions than they thought. Describe a perspective that would lead one to support the welfare state. Well, the perspective that is used by people to defend the welfare state, I don't think it actually supports it. That's the aim of my book, is to actually argue there leads to a different conclusion. But one of the most common ways of supporting the welfare state is appeal to fairness. And in academia, these are called egalitarians, and they basically argue the welfare state is fairer because it basically takes people who've been victimized by bad luck and um, compensates them for that bad luck. But the problem is that um, if you look at how Social Security actually works, um, it's just the opposite. You have these intergenerational inequities that are due to just the bad luck of people being born at a certain time. Whereas if you have a compulsory, if you have a private pension system where everybody has a pension savings account, then everybody, no matter what generation, gets a good market rate of return. So that would be an example of how appeal to fairness actually leads you to support an alternative to a major social insurance program. In the healthcare sphere, governments are very active. In future decades, it's easy to see that maybe with just a drop of blood, our insurance company could know enough about us to say that you have X percent chance of coming down with this disease, uh, therefore we will not insure you. How does a free society... How do you reconcile the idea of people through no fault of their own may be uninsurable and still maintain a free society where people can uh, freely associate? Actually, I think the existence of genetic markers could actually be a plus with regard to um, helping people um, act on their own choices, which is one of the values people defend the welfare state in terms of fairness, argue both that the welfare state should compensate people for bad brute luck, but also that there's a role for choice and responsibility. And actually, if you provide people information about their susceptibility to disease, they actually could take a more proactive role in their health care. So, so in terms of um, enabling people to have control over their own lives, it actually seems to me it could be a plus. On the argument that insurance companies won't insure you, I think that's just a confusion about insurance companies. Insurance companies are happy to insure people of different levels of risk. They do this all the time. It's just um, you pay more if the level of risk is higher. But if you have this situation, which you talked about, um, you could actually take 
steps to get your own health care under control by taking proactive results. Like if you know you have a genetic marker for heart disease and you say, all right, I better eat carefully and have a good diet. So things that are under your control get more under your control and you reduce your risks for health care um, costs in the future. And in that regard, actually... Um, give people a sense of more control and dignity over their own lives and reduce the role of brute luck, reduce the role. Because now you know, you know about what's going to happen in the future. That every time you have knowledge that reduces the role of brute luck because you can act on it. You talk about the importance of contractual rights in relation to retirement payments like social security and how these contractual rights exist in a mandated private pension system, but likely don't exist in a lot of programs that exist within the welfare state. Can you talk about that? That's pretty easy to show. If you look, I and in my book, I spent a lot of time researching how di different programs, how government programs actually work with how market alternatives work or would work. And in the case of um, private pension systems, we have a lot of data on this, and Social Security have a lot of data. And the answer is Social Security does not give you a right to what's been promised because it's not an really an insurance scheme. And over history of times, legislatures have constantly made changes about what's been promised. Whereas in a private system, you own your own account. This cannot be overemphasized. And so it gives people um, a right to what's been promised. And that seems fairer. And if you're talking about fairness, one of the things you're talking about, or um, or if you're talking about um, what we'd want a welfare system or a um, uh, pension system to do, we want it to keep its promises. And so contractual rights are better because contracts are a more secure form than statutory rights for fulfilling their promises. Many of the arguments that you make maintain coercion one of the things that you talk about would be a mandated pension system, which you argue is superior on the grounds, liberal values grounds. Mm -hmm. But the coercion is maintained. It's not necessarily persuasive to uh, libertarians who essentially the fact that coercion is in there would reject it out of hand, say, well, I've, I'm not persuaded by this argument because coercion is still there. Well, that's an excellent question. But the book is not addressed to libertarians. It's, it's, it's addressed to the dominant views in the academic left and the policy world. And it's arguing that these more market-based alternatives, and I stress more because there's still, as you say, um, elements of um, coercion that libertarians would find acceptable, are superior from their values. However, I still think libertarians should view these things as an improvement because if you had a compulsory private pension system. And if you had a, a compulsory private health care system where you got rid of all the government regulations that have made health care more unaffordable, you would have got, be gotten rid of the two hearts of the welfare state, which are social insurance programs, which are government involvement in pensions and government involvement in health care. So if you're a libertarian, you say, this is a liberty-based improvement. You can't, it's not saying it's the ideal system, but it's an improvement. So that's what I would say to libertarians. This argument, this book is, in one sense, written to the uh, academics who support the welfare state, but libertarians, I would like to read it too, could say, oh, well, these things are improvements, and here we are showing that we don't need to use our values to argue for improvements. We can use people that seem to be our opponents 
values that way. Although it turns out, if I'm right, they're not really our opponents. They just seem to be our opponents because they have different principles, but they converge on similar conclusions. Daniel Shapiro is associate professor of philosophy at West Virginia University and author of the book, Is the Welfare State Justified? If you have a comment or question about the Cato Daily Podcast, send me a note. The address is cbrown at cato.org.